Take your Bible, if you would, and join me today in Romans chapter number 14. Romans chapter number 14. In just a few moments, we're going to start in verse number 14. Romans chapter 14, and in a moment, we'll start in verse number 14. The phrase that we're about to look at has often been attributed to Augustine. In fact, it's been attributed to multiple people, but uh, with a little bit of research, it's believed that this phrase came from a German theologian. In fact, it appears in a pamphlet, a tract that he wrote back in the 1600s, right around the time of the Thirty Years' War. And he was writing to a people that were charged with a lot of tension. And of course, the Thirty Years' War had many religious implications. And so this theologian put together a simple little statement that has been repeated appropriately so through the course of the years by a lot of different people who ascribe to its value. And the statement is simply this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. It's a good statement, isn't it? When you start to think about the implications of that phrase, essentials, unity. Non-essentials, these are things that it's not the essential of the faith. We give liberty. And then in all things, a believer should demonstrate the characteristics of a God-infused charity. The title of our message actually comes from the phrase we've just looked at, and so the title of our message today is simply this, Unity, Liberty, Charity. Your Bibles are open right now to Romans chapter 14. Again, in just a moment, we're going to begin reading in verse number 14. And we're going to break this passage down today into basically three different admonitions. And the first one is the idea of be considerate. The second one, be cautious. And then the third one, be convinced. And again, just so you're tracking appropriately through the course of this passage and, and don't get too caught up in, in how much time we spend in different locations, we're going to spend the majority of our time under this first section of be considerate. And then we'll spend some time in that second area, be cautious, and then we'll touch on that last area of be convinced. So let's start today with where we're at, be considerate. Your Bible is again open to Romans chapter 14. Let's look down, if you will, at verse number 14. Here the Apostle Paul writes, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's an important little expression. I'm persuaded by none less than Jesus Christ. I know these things and he has finally persuaded me. Of what? that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with meat for whom Christ died. <clears throat> Let not then your good be evil spoken of. Okay, Paul's not really addressing the actions of the church at Rome as much as he is addressing the attitudes of the church at Rome. Now again, don't miss these things because they're so important as we start to build and unpack this passage. 
He's not so much addressing the actions of the church. You and I spend a lot of time evaluating action. But I suppose that any parent in here would understand that while actions are important, oftentimes the attitude behind the action of your child reveals more than the action itself. So the Apostle Paul is helping us understand actions do matter, but what we're addressing here, Paul's saying, are those attitudes behind the actions. He's wanting the church to move from the idea of I have to do this or I ought to do this to a place where they say I want to do this for my Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you know many times we're told, hey, listen, for the sake of another, you need to do this. And we say, okay, I know I should do this because it will be good for someone else. And Paul's saying, I want to move you, church, he's saying church at Rome, from the place where you have to do this, I, so to speak, signed on the dotted line. He's saying, I'm trying to move you from that place to a place where you want to do this for the benefit of the believers around you. Paul's speaking here specifically to what we might refer to as the strong. He's asking them to be considerate of the weaker members of the church. And you and I might ask, really, is that too much to ask? Now just let the question sink in for a moment. We're starting with be considerate. He's speaking primarily to the strong. He's saying there are some things that you could do on behalf of a weaker brother. And then we might just add, is that really too much to ask? Let's at least think about it in this context. To what lengths um, do parents go regarding the protection of their young children? Okay, so how many of you have children in the home right now that let's see, how many of you have children that are four years of age or younger? Raise your hand. Okay, so you're scattered throughout the the building, four years of age and younger. Um, To what lengths do you go to protect your children, especially your young children, from things in the home? I mean, you you could do all kinds of things. Um, How many of you have ever before covered up electrical outlets because your children like to stick their tongue in places they're not supposed to be? You ever done that? So you're going to, you know, you're covering up all these different things. How many of you have ever, you know, put the little locks on drawers so they can't get drawers open to get to some chemicals or some cleaning things that would be dangerous for them to have? How many of you have essentially bubble wrapped your child so they don't fall and hurt themselves? We go to incredible lengths to do certain things for the weaker in our families. But let me ask you this. Is that the way that you expect life will always be? You say, well, yeah, I have a 17-year-old. That's, okay, so I get that for some. But, but for most, aren't there some expectations that we do this for a time? We do this for a season? We do this for an understanding of the weaker in our family? And you know, in church, so often we come to the place where we say, hey, these are some things that we could set aside. Sometimes it's seasonally. Sometimes it is in certain situations or settings. Sometimes it might be this ongoing understanding of, hey, praise God, we have newer or weaker believers in our midst, and we're doing these things in an attempt to help them grow up and mature. In life, weaker believers, 
We will go to great lengths setting aside different things to help protect them, being considerate of those that are around us. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned something about a feud that Spurgeon got into with another preacher um, in London named Parker. And Parker went to the theater, and, and Spurgeon thought that was wrong, and, and Spurgeon smoked cigars, and Parker thought that was wrong, and they, they got into quite a tiff. Well, Spurgeon did smoke cigars, but I don't know if you knew this or not, but, but Spurgeon did stop smoking one afternoon, and I mean, just like that, he said, I'm, I'm done smoking. And you might ask why. Spurgeon was taking a carriage ride through London, and he saw a large billboard, and the sign said, the, the message on the billboard read, the brand that Spurgeon smokes. And when Spurgeon saw that, Spurgeon said, I don't want my name connected to something that may cause another brother to fall. Now, you and I have to wrestle with a question that might be a challenging one for us. We might ask the question, did Spurgeon have the liberty to smoke a cigar? Well, clearly Charles Haddon Spurgeon believed he did. But we also understand that Spurgeon came to the point where he said, my liberty to actually enjoy a cigar is going to be the means by which, or I don't want it to be the means by which a younger or a weaker believer may stumble and fall. Sadly and far too often, we claim liberty at the expense of a follower of Christ. All of us understand that it's sad when Christians are hurt by unbelievers. We all get that. A Christian is hurt by an unbeliever. We know that's very sad. But how much more so when a fellow believer is the one that's doing the damage? We get it if it's a person outside the church, but how about a person inside the church? When this happens, we begin to question who is truly the immature believer? That's a good question. Sometimes we, we say, well, you know, it, it, I have the liberty to do this. And, and if an immature person can't handle it tough, we start to ask the question, who is the one that's demonstrating at that moment the immaturity? We should at least pause when we ask this question. Okay, be considerate. Be considerate of what? Be considerate of what? Let's consider six things underneath this point that you and I should at least consider. Be considerate. Okay, pastor, be considerate of what? Well, the first thing that you and I should be considerate of regarding fellow believers is be considerate of their past. Be considerate of their past. To tantalize a new believer inside the church with that from which they were saved outside of the church can, can be frustrating for them, even destructive. So they were saved from something. Have you ever met a believer before that was really sensitive about something and it was almost shocking, like you stood back and you scratched your head and say, what's the cause of this sensitivity? Sometimes even this violent reaction to something that may be done, they say, no, I gotta stay completely away from that. And they can't understand why anyone would be even remotely involved in something that was reminiscent of what they were saved out of. What should we be considerate of? Be considerate, of? be considerate of somebody's past. Paul's making the same point, not just to the church at Rome, but also to the church at Corinth. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse number 9. 
But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge, sit at me in the idol's temple. Did you just read those words with me? He says, okay, if anybody sees you which hast knowledge, sit at me in the idol's temple. Shall not the conscience of him that is weak Be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols. And through thy knowledge shall thy weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Do you know what that passage is saying? It's saying, okay, listen, you have knowledge. You get it. You understand there is nothing that I'm going to ingest that by the nature of the food makes me unclean. Do you know where where Paul puts this person in the scenario that he's painting? He said, okay, you have knowledge. You know that this is not going to defile you. And so you are sitting in the temple of the idol. You have knowledge. You get it. You're in the idol's temple, and you're having a great meal. There's a, a juicy ribeye in front of you, and you're enjoying this meal, and it's nothing to you because you know that there is no God but the true God, but you're sitting in the temple's idol. Now, let me ask you, according to the scenario that's painted here, was it sin for the person who has knowledge to sit in the idol's temple? and eat a meal of food offered to idols. Is it sin? My conclusion is, no, Paul's not making the point that that's sin. They have knowledge. They get it. This is not what defiles me. It doesn't matter what I eat, and it doesn't matter where I eat it. But now Paul takes it another step further regarding, okay, you be considerate of a weaker believer. They walk by. They just worshiped with you in the fellowship, the gathering of believers. And they walk by, and they see you like, what, what in the world are they, they're in the temple of, I can't believe they're, I wonder if that's how Christianity works. I wonder, I wonder if I can mix the worship of God with the worship of false idols. I wonder if I can incorporate some things from my past into my present. I, I guess it must be, and now they start to lead this weaker believer down a path that they're not prepared for. Paul says, be considerate of what? Be considerate of their past. Let's take that another step further. Be considerate not only of their past, be considerate of their conscience, of their conscience. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 12, but when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wow. This is a weighty charge by wounding the conscience of another believer, thereby leading them into sin. We have actually sinned against Christ. He said, listen, you be considerate of their past. Be considerate of their conscience. Look a little bit further. Be considerate of their future. Of their future. Will this lead them into something that could be damaging to their future service? their future worship, their future ministry. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 13. Wherefore, notice the lengths to which Paul is willing to be considerate. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Now, let me give a little point of clarification. 
To offend doesn't just mean somebody doesn't like it. It means now you're leading them into an offense. If my actions cause now my brother to be led down a path where their life becomes this living offense to God, he says, you're doing something inconsiderate. And so Paul says, in essence, listen, if my eating me is going to cause another believer to stumble, if I'm going to limit them in their future walk with God, I'll become a vegetarian. What does that do to a, a believer like us? We love fried chicken, you know. Like, but he says he's good. He will eat no meat while the world stands. That's exactly what he says. You say, why? Because there was something more important than fried chicken to the Apostle Paul. And that was that group of fellow believers around him. And he says, listen, I don't want to cause their life to be filled with the, the continual stumblings that are going to shipwreck their lives. We're considerate of their past, their conscience, their future. Let's shift gears just a little bit. Let's think about considerate of ourselves. Be considerate of your testimony. Be considerate of your testimony. Paul's clearly speaking about testimony in Romans 14, 16. He says, let not then your good be evil spoken of. He says, be careful of your testimony. Okay, listen, you're trying to do something good. You're trying to walk with God and you understand the liberty that you have in Jesus. He says, be careful. Don't let your good things become something that another person says, hey, did you know about so-and-so that they're involved in this and this and this? And they actually, I know they worship idols. Paul says, let not your good then be evil spoken of. This is something that we're supposed to consider our own testimony. The word good here, it means useful, agreeable, excellent, upright, honorable. These are genuinely good things. But Paul said, be careful lest the excellent thing that you have the liberty to do becomes an evil thing attached to your testimony. And again, look at the consideration Paul is making from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 10, not only of a fellow believer, but again, also his own testimony. 1 Corinthians 8, 10, for if any man see thee, okay, that's your testimony. If any man see thee, which hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him that is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? Our Christian liberty, we get this. My Christian liberty, and sometimes we even use this as part of our argument. Hey, listen, this is between me and God. That's vertical. True. That is your Christian liberty. It is between you and God, but, but your Christian witness? Yeah, I, I know. Listen, my liberty, it's with him. I know. But your Christian witness, your testimony, your Christian walk, that's horizontal. That's in front of other people. And the Apostle Paul says, be, be considerate of your testimony. Okay, this last week, and all of us understand the reality of being watched, right? Being watched. That has to do with our testimony. This last week, I made a quick run to the grocery store and it was one of those, I, I had to do it quickly. So I'm at the grocery store and I'm standing at the deli counter and I'm gonna pick up two items. And there were two young men there that were helping and um, I was the only person there, but, but it took an excruciatingly long time. Do you already feel my pain, okay? You're in a hurry, 
You got a lot to do. You got to get in and get out. And so I'm standing there and I'm waiting for two items and they started the process, but through the course of the process, like, oh, I got, I got to go get something. So he leaves the counter, goes into a back room, a hidden back room. So I'm waiting for him to come out, but he comes out with nothing. I, he has to go someplace else in the store. And I'm standing there, and I'm, I'm in a hurry. And, and if, I, I, don't, I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. I'm just standing there, and I'm waiting. And, and it, it did take a long time. And finally, uh, they're all done, and one of the young men is actually putting the, the little sticker on the items, and, and he hands them to me. And then he said to me, as he hands them to me, he says, do you work at Pensacola Christian College? And immediately I realized I had a shirt from my alma mater. I, I graduated from Pensacola Christian College. I was wearing a, a PCC shirt. He says, do you work at Pensacola Christian College? I says, well, actually, no. I said, but, but I pastor a church on the campus of Pensacola Christian College. He says, oh, yeah, 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 you're Pastor Redland. And immediately my demeanor changed, okay? <laughs> immediately, oh, you're, yeah, you're Pastor Redland. I said, Yes, bless you, my son, you know. <laughs> Why does my demeanor change as soon as he identifies me? Isn't it interesting? Should my demeanor have been any different after he said, hey, you're Pastor Redland, than before he said, hey, you're Pastor Redland? Should it have been any different, yes or no? Do you know what the Apostle Paul is saying? The Apostle is saying, hey, you better be considerate of your testimony. Because whether you realize it or not, you are a walking witness to the reality of Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. How will our testimony fare today at a restaurant this afternoon when our meal is late or the food is cold? How will it do with the neighbor, with the barking dog, or the unruly children? And more to the point, what will happen with our testimony with another follower of Christ when our liberty causes the weaker brother to question our testimony, thereby hindering the work of the Lord? Paul said to a younger pastor, Timothy, to protect his testimony with other believers. And he said it like this. He says, let no man despise thy youth. In other words, Timothy, your, youth, your youthfulness should not be an opportunity for others to despise you. And then he goes on and he says, but be thou an example. Listen, Timothy, people are watching you. Be thou an example in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. Whoa, Paul is, is putting it on pretty heavy right now to younger Timothy saying, Timothy, people are watching. So you be considerate of your testimony. Of what should we be considerate? Of your kingdom priorities. Of your kingdom priorities priorities. What are the priorities of the kingdom of God? They are certainly far beyond what we consider to be our rights to some food or drink or whatever. Listen, our food and drink, is that the priority of the kingdom of God? Oh, you know, the, let me tell you what the kingdom of God is all about. It's all about the externals. It's all about, you know, the food and the drink. That's what, is that what the kingdom of God is all about? For the kingdom of God, Paul helps us understand here, is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That this is the kingdom of God, not meat and drink. How often do we reduce the priorities of the kingdom of heaven to lesser matters? 
like our right to eat or drink or participate in certain things, focusing on our personal rights, those things that may free us from the rules and regulations about us, rather than kingdom priorities. Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees because they'd focused on the insignificant matters of the law rather than the weightier matters which they had left undone. Matthew 23, 24, after a scathing rebuke, Jesus said, Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. How many of you have ever swallowed a gnat before? Swallowed a gnat. Listen, you probably swallowed a gnat without even knowing it at our last church picnic, okay? They go down pretty easily, and you, you have probably swallowed one. You didn't even know it. How many of you have ever swallowed a camel? Well, I, I don't know. Do you know what he uses as an analogy, as a picture, an illustration? He says, listen, Pharisees, you have so focused on the broken part the wrong part. He says, listen, you're having a hard time swallowing a gnat. You're choking on a gnat, and you are downing a camel. He says, let's get the priorities correct regarding the work of the kingdom of God. How often do we reduce the wrong thing, and we magnify? How often do we reduce the right thing, and then we magnify the wrong Jesus told the Pharisees they were doing the wrong thing, magnifying that which was insignificant, and they were making a big deal out of those things that didn't really matter. Romans chapter 14, when my kingdom priorities are right, here's what we're going to see. My service is both acceptable with Christ and approved by men. When my kingdom priorities are right, okay, then I'm going to see this is acceptable to God and it's approved by men. Now, we might summarize it like this. You say, well, the Bible says that, you know, we're going to be hated. Okay, let's just pause and put some balance to this. We might summarize it like this. If nobody thinks that you are strange, you are probably not a good Christian. However, if everybody thinks you are strange, you are probably not a good Christian, okay? And I really think that's what he's saying again in Romans 14, 18. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Does that make sense? Okay, if I'm practicing these things in a manner that's consistent with him, there's going to be something about my life that's acceptable to God and approved of men. Consider your kingdom priorities. And then lastly, in this first section, be considerate of your future service. Be considerate of your future service. Is is my participating in this potentially going to hinder my opportunity to serve God. And I'm not talking about next year, although that may be a factor. I'm talking about tomorrow or, or next week or, or on down the road next month. Is what I want to do with my liberty, is that going to infringe upon my opportunity to serve him more effectively tomorrow? If participating in some activity is restricted as a requirement for service, Be willing to set aside the activity in order to enjoy the opportunity for service. It's interesting, we oftentimes get on the trail of some divisive issue, and we can't get away from it. Look at Romans 14, 19. Notice what the Bible says here. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. Okay, he says follow after. He's saying get on the trail of. 
I mean, think about how often we get on the wrong trail. Instead of figuring out how God wants us to serve him, we put on our detective hat and are going to hunt down every evil thing in the church. Now think, okay, process. How many times have you ever gotten on the wrong trail? He says, okay, if you're going to get on the trail of something, follow after those things which make for peace. Here's what I'm supposed to be doing, and this has implications for my ability to serve even with joy, shoulder to shoulder, with both the strong and the weak. How many times do we get on the trail of something that God says that's a secondary matter, that's not a primary issue, and you're actually limiting your ability to serve with, with peace with one another? Have you ever been hunting down all of the details of how someone else may celebrate Christmas? And I'm going to do a lot of research because I want to find out about this celebration and this observation. And I'm going to figure out where they got this from. And now if another person is doing this in their holiday celebration, I think they're doing wrong. I think that's a perfect illustration of what the Apostle Paul says here. Listen, if you want to get on the trail of something, get on the trail of those things that make for peace. Or who was it that was quoted in a sermon? And do we fully agree with that person on every point of church practice? Where was a certain style birth? And on and on we could go. Where did that special come from? Who sang it? And do we agree with everything? And we start to get on the trail of those things that have nothing to do with peace. And they are so often secondary matters. If you want to track down and get on the trail of something, track down those things that produce righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That is the mark of the spiritually mature, the spiritually obedient follower of Christ. And it is the mark of those that are being considerate of their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. He starts out in this passage, he says, come on, let's be considerate. And there is a lot to consider. Let's go a little bit further and see where we go next. The next is be cautious. Be cautious. There's some caution tape that's spread out in front of us. There's some orange cones that mark the way. There's some signage that says caution. And the Apostle Paul helps us see it. Verse number 20. Romans 14. For meat... Destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Now, notice how this refers back to what we saw earlier in verse number 15. Verse 15, but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably? destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Again, this is not just a person who says, well, I just don't like it that you do that, and I want you to do what I like. We're not talking about that. This is not what we're talking about with like, hey, listen, if your brother's offended, if someone comes and says, I'm offended that you celebrate Christmas that way, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, okay, is this offense actually causing this person to come into a lesser relationship with Jesus Christ? And so he says, okay, be cautious because we don't want to destroy with your liberty, your meat, the very person for whom Christ died. The word destroy here is interesting. It's the Greek word apolemai, apolemai. And it's not, com- it's not communicating extinction here. 
but of uselessness or of loss. Not the cessation of being, but the cessation of well-being. So we're talking about like, oh, my actions are causing some like poor health in the spiritual sense for a fellow believer in Christ. We protect others by removing those things over which they may stumble. In verse number 21, we see a word that we've already seen earlier in the passage. And the, the, the word is offended. And the Greek word is skandalizo. The scandal. Oh, wow, the scandal that this produces in the life of this fellow believer in the life of the church. Sadly, some never give due consideration to the impact of their liberty. Or even more scandalous, they simply claim liberty in order to do whatever they really want to do. Let's, let's pause on that for just a moment. This is the person who is claiming liberty, and this is truly scandalous. They're claiming liberty to do whatever it is they want to do. And that's not what the Apostle Paul is trying to, to communicate in this passage of Scripture. Some say, hey, listen, I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I want to do. And there is, because I'm completely under grace, true. But that doesn't mean I have now this new license to live however it is I please to live. This is using their, their cloak um, this is using a covering to hide something more important. Peter said it this way, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. He said, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Using our liberty as a cloak or a thin veil for some type of sin. We may have the exterior covering of some spiritual desire, but our true motive is actually to flaunt our liberty, thereby harming both ourselves and others. We have to take note that Paul is not saying that sin is a matter of personal opinion. He's not teaching that as long as we think something's okay, it is okay. Scripture clearly teaches that certain things are wrong. There are, however, other matters about which there may be legitimate differences of opinion. They are secondary issues about which Christians may legitimately disagree. In such cases, strong believers are to be willing, as an expression of Christian love, to allow the sensitivities of the weak to condition how they live. The sensitivities of the weak actually have some implications. They help condition how I live. They don't control but I certainly want to keep that weaker believer in mind when I consider my own actions. This is a caution that Paul is delivering to the church. You know, he's, he's saying some people were trying to say, all things are pure. Well, well, really, is he saying that you can just have license to do whatever you want because all things are pure? What Paul is saying is a physical material world. Okay, the physical things of life, there's no morality connected to that. I, I, I have an illustration of it in my pocket. It's just a phone. So I have a phone. It's not a moral thing. But clearly, I can use a physical thing to do something that is morally connected. Paul says, listen, I, I get it. T to the pure, all things are pure. Listen, I know that there's no physical thing 
that is part of the makeup of the physical world that in itself is moral. But don't think that you can't be morally impactful with physical things. Again, our scriptural admonition reminds us of this in Romans, excuse me, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Let's wrap this up with the last point, and that is be convinced. Look down at verse number 22. Be convinced. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Paul wants us not to have a piety as a public show, but as a personal and oftentimes private conviction. Paul's saying, don't flaunt your freedom. Don't legislate your personal liberty. In fact, some things should be a matter of private discipline and personal holiness. And as the old adage goes, if in doubt, don't. But let's add a a little bit more to that. If convinced, continue. If in doubt, don't. If convinced, listen, I, I have assurance in my own mind, I can do this. Continue on. Continue with consideration that we've already mentioned. But now we understand, okay, if I have a doubt about this, if there's a red flag, I got to, whoa, I got to slow this down. This is something I have to be convinced of. Otherwise, if I'm eating, participating, doing whatever, and I doubt, he says, there's something that now is, is damning about this in my own mind. Hudson Taylor was the pioneer missionary in China. And the Lord used him in, in quite spectacular ways. He was having a difficult time connecting with the people in China. And so he finally made, what was at that time, late 1800s, then into the early 1900s, he made a a really radical decision. Um, He wrote his sister about it, and Hudson Taylor said, "Um, I have have taken a, a step, and he told what he did. He dyed his hair jet black, and then he went to the, the, the hairstylist, and he had uh, a long, what we might call a, a long ponytail attached. They wove it into his hair, like the Chinese. So he dyes his hair. He has a long ponytail attached to the back of his head. And uh, then he changes his dress. His dress is radically changed. He's no longer the Englishman that he went to, to be the missionary, the Englishman that goes and now is going to present the, 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 the Englishman's God. Now he changes his appearance, and as he does so, and word begins to trickle back to England, there were people that dropped his support immediately with no word to Hudson Taylor because of the radical steps that Hudson Taylor has taken in, in attempting to reach them. He has their charge become like them to reach them. Well, did he do so in a moral way or in what we might consider a secondary way? Does Hudson Taylor have the liberty to say, wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to appear as if I have long hair. I'm going to dye my hair. 
I'm actually going to change my garments, my robe, my appearance. And I'm going to do so because I have a higher goal, a higher purpose in mind. I don't believe this. I don't believe he's causing people back in England to fall into sin. I just think they didn't like it. Why does Hudson Taylor do it? Because by the time his ministry ends, there are over 800 missionaries underneath the new mission board that Hudson Taylor begins, the China Inland Mission. Over 800 missionaries that are throughout China taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to a people desperately in need. Do you know what Hudson Taylor was? Hudson Taylor was convinced, even though others may not have been. Do you know what the Apostle Paul is saying? Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. There are some things, God, I can do this, and this is between me and you. That's okay. He goes on, he says, happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth, Hudson Taylor. And then he goes on, he says, but if you have a doubt, he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, he's not convinced. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Let me give you three concluding observations. Number one, believers who are bound to outward conformity are driven by a love for the law, not love for other believers. Hmm. Those believers who are bound, they have a love for the law. And I want everybody to look just like me as it pertains to the law. Do you know, if you and I have a love for the law, we're going to have a a real focus on seeing everyone love the laws, so to speak, just like we do. We're going to have a love for the law, not really a charitable attitude toward other believers. Beyond that, believers who are driven by personal liberty, driven by I get to express my personal liberty. Believers who are driven by personal liberty are bound by love of self, not love for other believers. Well, I have the liberty to, I can engage in, I can participate in. Believers who have a love for their liberty are really in love with their self and not in love with other believers. And lastly, believers who are driven by a love for Jesus Christ restrain their liberty, allow for liberty, and love the brethren. Campus Church, may we be those who are driven by a love for Jesus Christ. That means that there are times that we will restrain our own liberty. We will allow for the liberty of others, and we will, through his love for us, have a God-infused love for the brethren. As Romans 14, 19 again reminds us, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify, that is, build up another.